You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Leaving Neverland. Men are often typecast as being without emotion, but it's not that they aren't emotional, it's that they are he-emotional. In today's teaching, we'll be discussing the difference between men and women, and the need for communication in our relationships as men. Hey, today we are jumping into our final week of this series called Leaving Neverland, or depending on what part of the country you're from, you might say Leaving Neverland. But it's uh, leaving Neverland, and uh, we're talking about men, and we're talking about how men are called to be godly men, what that looks like. And today is no exception. We're going to be talking about uh, communication, manly communication. And uh, i got to be honest with you. You can jump over to Philippians chapter 2 if you want to. Um, that's where we're going to be the entire, uh, the entire time we talk today. I have a confession to make uh, at the onset of our time together. One of the things that God often does in my life is he allows me to walk through or have a firsthand experience of whatever I'm going to be preaching about. Um, And it just seems more often than not to be the case. And so here's a little look into kind of like my life, and you may not want to venture back after you have an insight here. But so... Like I mentioned, our, our family was under the weather. We, we ended up going a day later down to visit some family and then drove back yesterday. On the way back, my wife and I <clears throat> got into a, and i got to be careful how I phrase this, right? Um, we got into a, uh, a, 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 a more challenging discussion than we normally have. Is that, is that a fair way of saying it? We got into a discussion that was... Uh, a, a slightly a decibel higher than normal. Um, got into a conver- a more pointed conversation. Is that all the ways to say? How do you say you got in a fight? I don't know how to say that. All right, um, on the way home. And this is about a three, three and a half hour drive, and it happened on the onset, and then for the duration of the other hours, there was silence. You ever have that happen? You have, you have a normal family? Okay. Um, I have a normal family too. And, uh, and, and here's the thing, it doesn't matter who is right or wrong, um, um, I was wrong, but, um, so it really doesn't matter, we're not going to talk about that, but, 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 but here's what happened. So I, I got home, and this is what happened, I unload everything, get the kids uh, in bed, and uh, with anger in my voice, I said, I gotta go study for my sermon tomorrow, that's what happened, this is like life in my house, and uh, she's like, okay, you know, and I go and sit down, I obviously know what I'm going to be preaching about today. And I open up, and and I, I just was reminded, and and this is this is what Scripture said as I started reading Philippians chapter two. Follow along here. It says, "So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, verse two, complete my joy." Would you just say that phrase with me? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind, verse 3. And this is where God, I felt like God took a fist and started just punching me out of the Bible repeatedly. Ever have that happen? You're reading scripture and then a hand just comes out and punches you in the face. This is what happened to me last night. It says this in verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I read through that and I was like, oh man, I'm not going to be able to stay mad at my wife, am I? I can't. I got to, and then I look at verse four, look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's another right hook. Verse five, 
having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as, being, as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Would you just say that with me? Humble yourself. Say, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And this is where we can celebrate as Christians. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Read verse 10 and 11 with me. So that at the name of Jesus, come on church, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Verse 11 with a little bit of power, come on. And every tongue confess, let me hear you, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I read through this passage and I was like coming in hot at the end, like, yes, yes, yes. And I glossed over the beginning, like, no, no, no. Because that affected me personally. I had to walk into the other room, swallow an immense amount of pride. And walk over to my wife who was sitting down and say, I walked over and I said, I'm sorry, you were right, I was wrong, I'm sorry. To which one eyebrow, this is classic, my wife, one eyebrow goes up, the other goes down and says, oh, okay. And then we sat down and talked and worked things out. You know, a couple things are true. Number one, pastors aren't perfect, that's for sure. I don't know if you knew that or not. Sorry to crash your bubble or bump, pump your bubble there, pop it. But here's the other thing that's true. Here's the other thing that's true. Men and women are different. <laughs> Would you agree with that? I mean, the whole different, like, we're different. Like, not just, like, physically. We're, we're different. Like, like, very different. Here's what I've come to understand. I can, I can have, I can be in a room with my wife, be looking at the same thing, hearing the same thing, but we interpret the data that's being received completely differently. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we can go see a movie, and I'll be like, that was the worst movie ever. And she'll say, that was the best movie ever. It's just the strangest thing it's it's odd I can hear a song and be like oh and she could be like ah oh. it's just we're different very different in fact uh to note the difference um when I was first starting to date my wife uh we uh, one of our first dates this is a horrible story horribly awesome and uh uh we got on a date and I was driving her home we're on these back roads right and uh back country roads I'm driving her home and it's just about dusk and out across the road and we're not going very fast it's just a a fat old little possum comes out on the road. Now, let me just say this for us men. When we see a possum crossing the road, wh what did God create us to do in that moment in the car? What do we do? Speed up to try to do what? Hit it, of course. And so that's what I did. And I ran over it, to which I exclaimed, 10 points! That's what I did. True story. And uh, because I'm thorough, I'm a thorough killer, I stopped, and I turned around and looked, and my wife, at time girlfriend, looked, turned around and said, oh, no, look, because what had happened was there was another possum, and what looked like to be a baby possum came out to make sure that the daddy possum was okay, and she's like, they came out to check to see if he was okay, and I mean, so I put it in reverse, and I ran over them as well. And I thought that was a great day. So my, my thing was, I thought that was an awesomely rewarding experience 
my wife thought I might be a psychopath. So here's what I learned. We are, we interpret things differently. Men and women are completely different. We see things differently. We, we engage differently. We hear things differently. In, in fact, Scripture uh, speaks to this, this very fact, as we're going to find in a minute. Um, but, but, but here's what all research teaches us. Men and women are different. And this wouldn't be a problem. This would not be a problem if it weren't for passages of Scripture like Genesis 2. Genesis 2.24 says this, look, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Can we throw that one up there? Is that possible? It's up there. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become, say this nice and loud with me, what? One one flesh, the, the verbiage here, actually, when it says a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, that word hold fast is actually this, this incredible Hebrew picture of somebody with their fingertips clasping to a rock face. That's the idea that they are gripping for dear life to each other. And that's how we are supposed to be as husband and wife. But it goes a step further and it says you actually have to become one flesh. And therein lies the problem. Would you agree? Therein lies the problem. See, when a man and woman are married, Scripture tells us that we have to be, that two have to become one. And we would agree with this as theologically theologically correct. Yes, we're interpreting that correctly. Yes, amen. Okay, yes. The problem is, the problem is even when two become one, too often in our marriages, relationships, the communication uh, styles and the perceptions remain separate. And so you run into a host of problems if you never learn how to properly communicate or properly talk about perceptions with your spouse. And, and here's what I know about men and women. Oftentimes women are, are, are uh, told or believe, they, they say like well, we, women are oftentimes emotional. We're emotional beings and men, they don't have emotions. They're just like a blank slate, which I, I get. I get because... You could go to a movie with your husband, and you, can, you could cry and say, this is just the most beautiful thing ever. And he sits there stone-faced, and you walk out, and, and you're like, why didn't, why didn't that touch your soul? Why didn't that make you, why didn't that affect you? And he could say, oh, it did. That was the most moving movie I've ever seen. And you're like, but you didn't shed a tear. And he could say, I cry on the inside. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we do. We can do that sometimes. It's not that men aren't emotional. They just have a different set of emotions. We call them hemotions, okay? So women are maybe more emotional, but men are hemotional. And I think this is important for us to understand. Uh, here's, here's another thing. There's a recent study done in Pennsylvania uh, about how women's brains and men's brains work because they function differently. Did you know this? This is not a joke. It's the truth. Uh, women's brains function more like circles, if I'm trying to understand this correctly, where one circle interlinks with another circle. It's kind of like electricity. They just kind of like one circle links to another circle, links to another circle, links to another circle. Um, truth. And so <clears throat> you start talking about the house. That's how it's connected to the car, and the car is connected to the garden. The garden is connected to, to um, you know, to shoes, and the shoes are connected to the roof somehow, and the roof is connected to your mother-in-law, and then your mother-in-law is connected to, and so you're still like, I'm still at the car. How did you get to my mom? You know what I mean? What's going on? So that's, that's everything is connected with everything else, and you're designed that way. Men, not really. They said, this study shows that men, their brains are more like a garage filled with boxes, 
<laughs> already. Love the analogy. Um, now we can debate at the content of those boxes. For some, there may not be much in those boxes. But the fact is, there's a garage with boxes. And when you have a conversation with a man, if you talk about the, let's say you talk about the car, he will go and open the garage door and walk over to the box marked car, bend down, pick up, open the contents, and talk about what is inside. The problem is, oftentimes, as wives, we've already talked about the car. We've moved from the car now to the house, now from the house to the cat, to the cat, to the cat litter, to the cat litter, to our budget, to our budget. How Next year, how are we going to save for this vacation? You're talking about vacation in 2020. He's still trying to think about the car. See what I'm saying? And we're like, how are we not connecting? It's because we were designed differently. That's not wrong. It's just the way that we were designed. And we have to figure out how to communicate with each other. And oftentimes we get into this place where we're like, well, she should just get me. Like, you're different, man. Or maybe sometimes we say, well, he should just understand. It's a matter of love. No, it's not. It's a matter of gauging your communication better. In fact, God even communicates differently with men than he does women. With women than he does men. Have you ever noticed this in Scripture? Let me show you what I mean. Uh, in, in the book of Exodus, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 3, there's Moses. We know who Moses is, right? Yeah? Okay. Um, so Moses is out in the middle of a desert, and God comes to him in the form of a burning tree. A tree that sets on fire, is set on fire, doesn't burn down. First off, let's just talk about this. How long... You have to stand and watch a tree burn to realize that it's not burning down. Have you ever wondered that? An hour? Two hours? Three hours? How long is Moses standing there just watching a tree on fire and then realizing, hmm, I should go look at this thing. It's not burning down. Probably a long time. Then he walks over to this fire that God sets in this tree. He is the fire. And he says, Moses, take off your shoes. The ground that you're walking on is holy. He comes with this booming, loud voice. God talks to a man by setting something on fire. Can we just put that out there? That's how God talked to man. And then he yelled at him. Elsewhere, a man named Paul in Scripture. <clears throat> how does God talk to him? Knocks him off his horse, comes to him in a blinding light, makes him blind, makes him crawl to a city. That's how God talked to Paul. Knocked him off his horse, blinding light, caused him to go blind, scales over his eyes, makes him crawl like a blind man to a city. That's how God talks to men. Let's see how God talks to women in Scripture. Can we just do that for a second? Here's an example. This is an example. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We know this story, right? Beautiful Christmas story. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. And the virgin's name was who? Mary. And he, came to her, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Hold on a second. Hold on. Just let's be honest. God setting fires, making men blind, knocking them off their horses and crawl to humanity. But on this side, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. How are you today? Your hair looks beautiful. Like, Let's keep going. And then he says this. <clears throat> but she was greatly troubled, of course. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greetings might be. And the angel said, 
Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So he doesn't say like, no, I am God. Listen to me. He's, he says, oh, are you scared? Don't be scared. It's, it's okay. Come here. Give me a hug. Like, I love you. You're beautiful. Marshmallows. It's awesome, right? God communicates differently. Why? Because he designed us differently. Don't you see that? He designed men and women to function differently, to think differently, to interpret data differently. And it's important that we understand if God changes the way that he communicates based on who he's communicating with, then maybe we as men should learn how to communicate properly with our wives. Maybe we should understand that we are going to have to talk with them in the way that they want to be communicated with, not just, well, they should know that I love them. Why? Because I love them. What? Yeah, I went to work today. I don't need to tell my wife I love her. I went to work. No. (laughs) No, she should know. I've been with her for 13 years. I don't need to buy her flowers. We're past that. No. Maybe you should learn how to communicate properly on the basis that God communicates Differently. See, God understands that when it comes to communication and perception, women are, and understand when I say this, I don't mean weak, okay? Don't, don't let that, women are strong, okay? You, you grow people inside of you and give life. That is strong, okay? That is a superpower. That's amazing. But understand that, 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 that a woman is a lot more like fine china that is to be handled carefully, that is fragile, that needs loved on and taken very good care of, whereas a man is more like a thermos <laughs> that you drop on occasion and it doesn't matter. That you fill up with hot soup one moment and then the moment next moment you fill up with ice cold water. It's thick. It's durable. It can be knocked around a little bit. Does that illustration make sense? That's how we were designed. But despite the gaps in the communication styles and perceptions, I got to tell you this, even though you're a thermos and she's fine china, the moment that you say, I do, you are accountable to learn how to live as one flesh. You are accountable to God to learn how to live as one flesh. Guess what? That is hard when you're motivated in different ways and express yourself in different ways and communicate and perceive things in different ways. That's difficult. And so thankfully, we have books of the Bible like Philippians chapter 2 that help us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to take notes today. Obviously, we're a church that worships in spirit and in, and in truth. We take notes. We believe that Sunday is just a start for us as a church. We get plugged into small groups. We call them Sea Life Groups. If you want more information about that, find a magazine out under the tent. Get into a home group that works for you. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. You're going to make friends. We're going to open up these passages and talk about them more. It's great. Probably There's probably going to be food there. It's good times, okay? But write this down, number one. Number one, Philippians chapter two gives us an example. And I want to walk this through. Number one is this. Do nothing from selfish ambition. When it comes to how we communicate with each other, specifically husbands to wives, I want you to know, Scripture wants you to know, Philippians and Paul wants you to know, number one, do nothing from selfish ambition. He says it like this, starting in verse one. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my what? Joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Can I just tell you something that will revolutionize your marriage? I promise you. Listen, you are not trying to win in your marriage. You are trying to have a marriage that wins. Big difference. In your marriage, you're not trying to, to win in your marriage. You need to be trying to have a marriage that actually wins. See, here's, here's the truth of the matter. You need to daily go capture your wife's heart. You need to go actively pursue and capture your wife's heart. There's a great book called Wild at Heart written by a man named John Eldridge. And he says this, deep in the heart of every man, there's the ongoing longing for a battle to fight an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. A battle to fight, an adventure to live, and the beauty to rescue. And he would say this is the basis of a man's life, <clears throat> that everything in him pushes him to, to, to a battle, uh, an adventure, and a beauty. But, but here's the problem, I would say. Here's the problem, and I agree with him, but here's the problem. I would say that we see dating and getting her to marry us as the battle, for some of you, it was an extra hard-fought battle, but it was a battle. Being engaged is the adventure. We're on this adventure. And then the wedding day is you saving your beauty. And so what does that mean? That means not the best is yet to come, but the worst is yet to come. Because you've already had the battle. You've already gone through the adventure. You've already saved the beauty. So now what's left? Well, we're going to get old and die together. Oh, Yeah. That sounds like the adventure of a lifetime. Simon, and we even say that in our wedding vows, right? Till death do us part. Till death do us part. And we think the adventure's over. Life's over. I finally caved. I finally given in. She's got me. The old ball and chain. This is how it is. And I'm telling you, that is not the way that God designed it to be. Would you agree with me? That is not the way that God designed it to be. Number one, that is not romantic at all. That is not passionate at all. That is not fun. That does not sound fun at all. What I want you to know is that this is this. Saying I do wasn't the victory. That wedding day wasn't the victory. It was only the call to the battle. Saying I do is the call to the battle, the adventure, and the beauty. I do starts the marriage and communication continues the relationship. You should every single day, husband, you should be going and saving your beauty. You should go pursue your queen. You should go make her life special and wonderful and love her and live out this adventure and fight these battles together. That is what you're called to do. That is what your marriage should look like. So when we communicate, we are communicating for communication's sake, not out of an agenda that seeks to, to manipulate a woman's emotions so we can get what we need. You know what I'm talking about? You don't just, you don't just do things to, to, to get a reaction. Uh, like your marriage should not be like some game of chess where you're thinking three moves ahead. Well, if I do this, then she's going to do this. And then if she does that, then I'm going to do that. And then when she does that, then I'm going to fire back with this. And then we're going to end up and I'm going to bring up her, our mother-in-law. Like, like, what? That is not like your marriage shouldn't be like that. It's an adventure that you're both on together, living out together. 
For you are the knight in shining armor daily, daily, daily. Number one, do nothing from selfish ambition. Here's a practical example. Men, how many times do we do this? How many times, and how messed up is this? How many times do we do something nice for our wife in the attempt to get her to thank us? And then when she doesn't, we get angry. Does that ever happen to you? So, of course, you're not going to say yes. But it's happened to you. And here's what we do. So our wife is doing something, and we say, oh, I'm going to. Let's use doing the dishes, for example, okay? So there's maybe a huge pile. Of, oh, I'm going to do these dishes, and she's going to be so happy about it. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And then you do them, you know, and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're like a little puppy, you know, just like kind of like, yeah, oh, it's going to be great when she says, oh, when she sees us, right? And she walks in the door. She's tired. She's had stuff going on. And she looks over, and she sees that the, 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 that the dishes are done, but she doesn't acknowledge it because there's other things going on. And, and instead of you just, like, letting it be, because you did something to be godly, you actually want the recognition of what you did. So instantly you're angry. So you did the dishes to be kind in Jesus to her. She didn't say anything, so now you're mad. You're mad at her for not recognizing that you did something nice. Do you see the ridiculousness of that? And so we'll say like, hey, did you, did you see I did the dishes? Did you see that they were dirty and now they're, they're clean? You know, who did, I did that. She's like, oh, okay, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, you need to say thank you next time I do the dishes for you. When I do nice things for you, you need to say thank you more. And then you guys get into it. Do you see how we do that stuff all the time? We're not supposed to do that. We should do nothing from selfish ambition. Here's a challenge, man. Try to bless your wife and do things for them that they might not even know about in the moment. Do the dishes or vacuum or I don't know, whatever it might be in your home that you guys do that maybe she does or you do, whatever. Figure out what those things are and, and go, like, disappear. Go away and don't receive any credit for it. That's something that will help build up your wife. That's an adventure. That is a way that you rescue your beauty. Number two, number two, how to communicate. Number two, live in humility. Let me hear you say the word humility. Verse 3 of Philippians 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but read this with me, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Simply put, the words of your mouth should encourage your wife. The actions of your hands should give her security in your commitment. Can I just make this statement? By and large, chivalry is like dead. Have you noticed that? Go to a restaurant and see just watch. Watch and see if you, if you see a man stand up when a woman stands up from the table. Just watch and see if that happens. See if there is anybody pulling out a chair and tucking it in unless they're being paid for that. Look in a parking lot and see if anybody is opening and holding a door or closing a door or carrying groceries or carrying bags. Now listen, once again, I'm not talking about the fact that I'm not saying women are weak. I hope you hear that, that I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's a matter of respect. It's a matter of chivalry. It's a matter of, of, of us being people who are living with humility as men. Amen? That's how we're supposed to be. The problem is, for too many of us, we've been raised with a John Wayne mentality. How many of us know John Wayne? Older generation, we know who that is. Younger generation, they're like, who? Um, many of us were raised with this John Wayne mentality. John Wayne, his name was Marion Marion Morrison was, in all, you know, in all respect, he was like the man's man. 
in his day and time. <coughs> Excuse me. The problem is, in his real life, he wasn't really a ladies' man. Or, Well, I mean, he was. If, if you're thinking about it in that regard, he just wasn't kind to other people. Uh, he's married three times, divorced twice, multiple affairs, uh, self-admitted alcoholic. He was abusive to his children. In fact, one of his wives tried to shoot him. That's when you know you've I'm not doing things right. My wife tried, one of my three wives tried to shoot me today. Okay. Um, and here's the problem. This is who our fathers took their cue from on masculinity. This was the definition of masculinity. Listen, I understand, man, that you primarily grew up learning how to treat a woman by watching your father. But some of us, some of you, have to own up to the fact that some of our dads failed us and their wives. And that's hard to swallow. We idolize our fathers so often. But some of us have to own up to the fact that some of our dads failed us in training and teaching us how to treat a wife, how to treat a woman. And so you can either continue to use your upbringing as an excuse and pass it on to your children, or you can grow up and live in humility. Break the cycle. Break the cycle right now in your life. You are not your father. You do not have to do the things your father did. You can break the cycle. You have a new father, a new spirit, a new Jesus living inside of you, shaping you, changing you, calling to be better than what you were. That's what you've been called to do. That's what you've been called to be. Man, I want you to know in this redefining it's a good thing to tell your wife that you love her. Would you agree? It's a good thing. But it's a great thing to tell your wife that you love her in front of your children. It's a good thing to kiss your wife. It's an even better thing to be affectionate with your wife in front of your children, especially when they say, ugh, you guys do that stuff? You hug mom, ugh. That's great. Don't stop. Man, it's a good thing to say I'm sorry. It's a great thing to show your wife and kids what it means to repent. Number three, write this down. You need to view your spouse as more significant than yourself. View your spouse as more significant than yourself. Verse four of Philippians two says, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of who? Others. Your actions should reflect their significance. Your actions, men, should reflect your wife's significance to you. Simply put, they are more important than you. They are more important than you. Their happiness, their fulfillment is more important than your happiness and your fulfillment. I don't, I don't get, I don't understand these couples that get married and yet their lives don't intertwine. And they're miserable. And they end, up, they end up going and fulfilling their own needs and desires through other means and various means. They don't talk about their day. They don't speak to one another. They don't eat dinner together. They don't pray together. They just simply work their jobs, get tired, come home, microwave their food, go to separate areas of the house, watch their own shows on their own TVs, then go to bed and wake up and do it the next day and wonder why they don't like their marriage. 
In fact, I can tell you this. I, over the past however many years, 10, 12, 13 years now of being in ministry as a pastor, 13 years now, I have found that that is probably like most American marriages. Work, stress, come home, yell at kids, microwave some food, go to separate places, watch your own shows, go to bed lonely. Listen, if that is your marriage, I want you to know this. Can I just, I want to say this as softly as possible. Okay, so just let me know. Are you, are you hearing me right now? I'm just going to say this. <clears throat> you are doing it wrong. <laughs> that is not how it works. Genesis 2, we are to be one flesh. You must, you must see your spouse. You must see husbands, your wife. You must see her as more significant than yourselves. And I hear this all the time. I hear like, but you don't understand, man. You don't understand. My wife, dude, dude, it's her fault. What do you mean it's her fault? We're not satisfied, but it's her fault. Why? She's so hard and jagged. She's rough and she's bitter. Dude, she's so bitter. She's just this bitter woman. Doesn't the Bible say something about bitter women? She's a bitter woman. All we ever do is fight. I don't know what to do, so I just leave her alone. Here's the truth. Can I just speak some truth to our thermoses today, okay? Here's, here's the truth. You can't get mad that you broke the fine china God gave to you to love. You can't get mad at the china for being broken. You can't get mad at the fine china for being jagged. You can't get mad at the fine china for being sharp and dangerous. You are the one who broke it. You are the one who snapped it. You are the one who made it bitter and jagged. You must take responsibility. Don't get mad. Get godly. Don't get angry. Live humbly. View your spouse as more significant than yourself and allow God to repair what you broke. How do you do that? Point number four. We must have the mind of Christ. In all things, we must have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. To fully love, to fully forgive, to fully live in mercy, to, to, fully, to be fully humble, full of truth, full of grace. This is the description of what it looks like to be a husband. You need to view and treat your spouse the way that God views and treats them. I would tell you this, the same thing I would tell a lot of times in premarital counseling. <clears throat> we must learn to see our spouse the way that God sees them. We must learn to love our spouse through the lens of God. Because how does God view her? He views her as perfectly loved. There's nothing that she can do that can ever make God love her any more or any less than he currently does. And that should be your view as well. There's nothing that she could do that would make you love her more or less. You love her perfectly. Your goal, husband, is to love your wife perfectly with the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, when you get married, the moment that you say, I do, you could even make the case that you are being like Christ 
and saying, no matter what you do, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be here. No matter where you go, what you do, how you act, I'm going to stick with you. I'm not getting out of this. This is a commitment that we've made and a covenant that we've gone into with each other. And yet, what do we do with the slightest difficulty? I'm out of here. I'm done. Listen, husbands, you are to be the picture of Jesus to your wife. Ephesians 5 talks about that case, doesn't it? Is that how Jesus treats us? See, I'm under the impression that for many of us, our marriages would get fixed if we just fixed our relationship with Jesus. And because we don't understand our relationship with Jesus and Jesus' role in our life, we don't know how to work within our marriage. We don't know how to function because we don't know how Christ has functioned in us. But I can tell you this. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And we know that. We, we know that. And yet to your wife, it's a question if you're going to pack up and leave someday. Tell me how that makes sense. It doesn't. You're called to be Jesus. You're called to be holy. You're called to have the mind of Christ. You are least. You are last. She is first. And communication is a must. And I got to tell you, according to Ephesians chapter 5, man, you are the ones who are going to be held in accountability for this. One day you have to, scripturally, you can make a very strong, valid argument, I believe, that you will have to turn back into God what he gave you to steward. Scripture says that Jesus will turn back in the church to God without any spot or wrinkle, give an account for her. And we are compared in that passage to Jesus with our families. A very strong theological case, as I said, could be made that we will turn in our families one day and stand in account to God for them. Travis, does Vanessa know me more today, better today? Is she closer today because I gave her to you, or is she farther from me? Today, Travis, do your children, are they closer to me because I gave them to you, or are they farther from me? Do you see what I'm saying? Husbands, you will be held in account for that. And every excuse will fall out the window. Well, I tried God. She was, just such a, she was just such a hard, bitter woman. You know, just such a hard, mean. You broke the china, son. You're the one who made it bitter. You're the one who made it jagged. So there are no excuses. We must learn to communicate and live in humility. I think that, like I said, back to this point, I'm going to close with this, actually, I think. I think the truth of the matter is that we don't understand our relationship with our wives because we don't, we don't understand our relationship with Jesus. And if you would get to the latter first, then the first would just fall into place. See, you thought that, maybe you thought that the day you said I do to accepting Jesus meant that you had already crossed the finish line. Like, hey, I raised my hand in a service. I prayed a prayer. I'm good. Everything is good. Everything is good. I've crossed the finish line. You thought that accepting Jesus was the goal, right? But Scripture makes it clear that your feet are just settling into the starting blocks when you make Jesus your Lord. This is why Paul tells us to fight the good fight. This is why Paul says, don't give up in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good things. Fight the good fight. Run the good race and cross the finish line. Fight. Beat the air like a boxer and go forward and run. Do not quit until you see Jesus face to face. 
Man, saying I do to Jesus, accepting him as your Lord and Savior, that is not the goal for all of humanity, period. It is just the starting blocks. It's where we begin. It's where the adventure goes on from. This is the difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation is something, yes, that happens. I am saved. I, I am being saved, and I will be ultimately one day saved in, in Christ. But there's also a, pro- a process that takes place within that. It's called sanctification. And sanctification is under our control to a degree. We can allow ourselves to be sanctified. Sanctification, once again, is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. If you've only gotten the salvation and not the sanctification, there's a problem. That doesn't delineate from the salvation. It just means that you're missing out on the point of the salvation. Part of the reason for salvation is so that you will be sanctified, so that you can become like Jesus every single day. In your life, you should be becoming, you should be becoming more like Jesus every single day. Day, daily, becoming more like Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. Likewise, in your marriages, you, as a husband, should be loving your wife daily. You should be leading her daily, laying your wife down, your life down daily for your wife. You should be leading her daily. You should be living humbly daily. You should be putting her first daily. You should be pursuing her daily. You should learn how to communicate the way that she needs communicated with daily. And that might change from day to day. I don't know. But if it does, learn it. Love her. Lead her. Be Jesus to her. I'm going to ask if you would just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you for putting up with my challenging voice today. <clears throat> but as some music just softly plays, I'm going to challenge us as families today, as men. For some of us, let's just be honest, we need, we need, to, we need to spend some time in repentance. Because we've not been loving our wives the way that God has called us to. We've not been leading them correctly. We've not been communicating with them correctly. We've not been leaning into humility. We've not been, not at all, we've been living out of selfish ambition and we've been conceited. And so maybe even you had a fight, maybe you even had a fight on the way here. I don't know. Maybe it was last night. You feel like a hypocrite, but the fact is, like, you need to apologize. And even more than that, you need to repent. You need to ask God to change you. Completely change who you are, how you treat her. You need to do nothing from selfish ambition. You need to live in all humility. You need to view your spouse as more significant than yourself. And you need to have the mind of Christ. You need to commit that today. You need to commit today that that is the type of man you are going to be. So right now, husbands, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) Right now, husbands, I'm going to ask if you would. Just take a moment and repent before God. And wives, in this moment, if you can be loving, as loving and supportive as you can be. And then for you who are single, single men, younger men, teenagers, I want you to understand that this is the mark of a man. This is what it means to be a man. You need to grow in humility. You need to be respectful and honor those around you, not just women, but men as well. You need to be kind. You need to be gracious. Watch the way that you talk. 
Be generous. Be loving. Be like Christ in all situations, but especially to other women. And treat them differently. And listen, for those of you who are younger women in here or maybe single, do not, do you hear me? Do not settle for a man that is not these things. Everybody else can settle. That's not about you. You will not settle. You will wait for the godly man that God has brought, you is bringing. You will wait for that man. Do not settle. I don't care how pretty he, he tells you that you are. I don't care how often he says he loves you. I don't care what type of flowers he buys you. Don't matter. You need to not settle, but put it in your mind that this is the type of man that you will spend the rest of your life with. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.